Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Lowe. And if this is your first episode and you're wondering what this whole thing is all about, well, I'll tell you. Every week, I find my head surgically attached to the body of a different friend and cinephile. Together, we are given a note containing a theme, sometimes specific and sometimes vague. Our job is then to pick a pair of movies that fit that theme and then watch and discuss. This is The Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. Okay, so I guess we should kind of get into it, uh, since we do have a, a time limit today. But uh, you're, of course, listening to the Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. And uh, if, you, if you couldn't tell, I mean, everybody knows who is here, not only just from reading it, but from hearing your voice. Uh, joining us today again from the Dial F for Film podcast is J. Carlos Menjivar. You and I, we had a group watch on Saturday for uh, oh, yes. quite the film, Yeti, Giant of the 20th Century. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought was a lot of fun. Yeah, same. Yeah, it was really, it was, it was Sorry, much better than I thought it would be. Same, yeah. same kind of similar reaction to Angel, where I was expecting something kind of really bad and, and sleazy, and it wasn't. It was, I was like, wow, this is good. I like it. Yeah, so Yeti, Giant of the 20th Century, ostensibly a ripoff, like Italian, ripoff of uh well italian canadian ripoff of the 1976 king kong i think you and i both came away thinking that we preferred the the ripoff to the actual film uh definitely yes a lot more fun i'm definitely going to watch yeti again someday but i don't think i ever need yeah. King Kong. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm on the same boat uh, but yeah that was a good watch that was a lot of fun it was I, I haven't. I, I got that soundtrack. I, I listened to that a couple times. Did you end up getting that vinyl, that seven inch? No, I forgot about it, but I, I, I definitely will. <laughs> I, I really, I have to have it. I love the cover and I like the music in that in that movie. Yeah, I, I guess it's just the one song, right? The disco song. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the disco song. But no, the soundtrack is actually. I mean, Italian soundtracks are usually pretty yeah. good. No, yeah. What, what, uh, is it like on Spotify? Is that where you or you downloaded? I downloaded it. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll text you where. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. You can figure it out. It's not that. It's not. <laughs> yeah, easy, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, you're joining me today. We're going to do um, another entry in Summer in the Shadows. I think after this, we've only got one more that we're going to do, and then it's on to our. Halloween season. Halloween yeah. season is going to start in late September, but whatever. Yeah, um, <laughs> I like that. You're, you're joining me. We're, we're kind of we're going far afield instead of the uh, post-war melodrama, uh, dark side of the soul, American film noir. We're, we're going over to, to Japan. Uh, and actually, I guess only one of them is, is would technically be considered in the post-war period. But we're going to be discussing uh, Stray Dog from Akira Kurosawa and Branded to Kill from Seijun Suzuki. And uh, I guess we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about Stray Dog. That 
移られたのは警視庁捜査第一課の新任刑事村上でその取られた拳銃には弾は何発入ったそっくり7発ですポルトだったなあ取られたピストルはポルト式小型拳銃射撃演習の帰り口の出来事であるなんでだったあれだろい夢張り込みかれたさって全然寝てないんだ<笑>それに何という悪さだ。In Stray Dog from 1949, Kurosawa mainstay Toshiro Mufune plays a rookie detective whose gun is stolen out of his pocket on a crowded city bus. Fearing that his mistake may lead to innocent people suffering, Mufune begins an arduous odyssey into the underworld of post war Japan. Eventually, he is paired up with an older, more experienced detective, another Kurosawa mainstay, Takashi Shimura. As they track down the stray dog that is using Mifune's gun in a series of robberies and murders. Now, I've seen this movie a couple of times now.、Uh, Kurosawa is by a long shot one of my favorite directors. I, I actually I say my two favorite directors are David Lynch and Akira Kurosawa. And I have not seen everything. I've, I've, there's a couple of like late period Kurosawa films I still haven't seen, but I, I, I've seen almost I mean, I've seen everything from this period.、Um, I have not seen this movie as much as I've seen others. So, revisiting it was like really interesting because it's kind of early in his career. And you can kind of see like he's, he's not as assured as he is a little bit later on. He's actually a little bit showier in a way that kind of like I think he would consider the mark of a younger filmmaker who's unsure of himself. Like he's trying to pull all these tricks. But you can see where he's like, he's just kind of like almost there, right? Like he's, he's almost、yeah. at perfection, which is what I would consider some of his movies that come, in, come out in the next couple of years.、Um, it's also interesting because, you know, a lot of people know Kurosawa from his period films. It's, it's interesting to see a contemporary movie and one that's like so street level. About a time in, you know, a very interesting time in Japanese history, kind of, you know, this post war,、uh, like the, the economic boom is still a few years off. And so everybody is pretty desperate. And this movie just feels very like lived in.、Um, you said, you texted that this is a bad movie to watch on a very hot day because it's, this movie takes place during a heat wave. And I swear, even watching it on a cold day, You just feel like you're sweating because this movie just exudes an uncomfortable, swampy heat. Oh my with, God, yes. I, I, but I, I, really, I really like this one.、Um, I think this is your first time watching it. So why don't you tell me what, what you just like, what you thought of it? How did you like it? Yeah, this is、uh, my first time、um, watching Stray Dog. And much like you,、uh, Kurosawa is one of my favorite directors. I haven't seen everything, there's just still a lot. Um, that I haven't seen, but everything that I see, that, that I've seen by him, I absolutely, absolutely love. And it, it's taking me so long to get to Stray Dog, but finally did it. And I,、um, I, I, I enjoyed the movie a lot.、Um, there, 
I think it, it feels a little, it's two hours long, but it, and I feel like the movie intentionally feels long. Uh, and <laughs> I think it helps, you know, it makes it feel more suffocating uh, when you're watching. So I, I kept checking the time. I was like, this movie's too hot for me. Like it's making me uncomfortable uh, <laughs> here. Um, and I just kind of, I was like, okay, can we, you know, wrap it up a little bit, but it, it's a really good movie. I really enjoy it. And I agree with what you were saying. It's definitely like a flashier movie from Kurosawa, less uh, prolonged shots, a lot more editing, not too much, but, uh, and we see glimpses of some of the things he, you know, he become famous for uh, as far as uh, visually and the shots. And it, it, this is like, what year did Rashomon come? Was that 1950? Right? The following year after this? Uh, I think you're right. Yeah, 1950. Yeah. And like, that's one of his like masterpieces. Like, wow, this is like removed by that, uh, from that by like a year. And, and you know, that's, and that I think that's kind of starts uh, Kurosawa's kind of renaissance. But uh, overall, I enjoyed uh, Stray Dog. Yeah, you're, you're right, because there's there's like a hell of a learning curve with Kurosawa, who, before he became a director, was working on set. Like, he was doing other things in the film industry. Mm -hmm. But he, he started pretty young. Um, and you can see he, he just kind of levels up with all of his movies for a little while. Uh, yeah. You know, he starts like, he, he starts with kind of historical kind of melodramatic biopics, Sanchiro Sagata, part one and two. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. He does The Men Who Tread on Tiger's Tail, which is an adaptation of a stage play. Um, and then, he, you know, he kind of makes some post-war melodramas, like romantic melodramas in, in some cases. And then, you know, yeah, Stray Dog. The next year he does Scandal, which is kind of another minor film, but also with Mifune. Um, I love that movie as well. Like that's one. Of, that's one I think it's underrated, but Scandal is really good. And then see yeah, Rashomon, Rashomon, and then The Idiot, Ikaru, Seven Samurai, I Live in Fear, Throne of Blood. Like he just by yeah. you know nineteen sixty one, Yojimbo, and then Sandro the next year. He is, I don't know. He is just like refining his craft over the first couple of movies, and in such a a short period of time. Uh, have you ever read his autobiography? No, no I haven't. Uh, something like an autobiography is what it's called. And it's, uh -huh. not a full, it's not a full autobiography. It's kind of like a snapshot of a, a period in his life. It, it goes up, I think, through his first few movies. I don't even, I don't even remember if it gets up to Seven Samurai. Um, wow, yeah. Um, but it, he talks about... Um, about learning how to edit and learning how to tell tell stories visually, like taking advantage of the fact that you can cut between things and just show an image and like the audience will fill in some of the blanks of, of what you your character had been doing previously. Um, right. And so you can tell, you can see him kind of figuring all this out here. Most notably, I think in the opening 20 minutes of this movie, which I think are very unusual in Kurosawa's filmography in that there's a lot of quick cuts. There's a lot of uh, flashes to, to moments. Um, it's non-chronological. Like there, he had written this script chronologically so that, you know, there's the scene where he goes to 
the gun range and he's talking to people and he gets the, the gun stolen and then he goes chases after the guy and goes back to talk to his captain but in then you know watching the movie he's like well this is taking a really long time we know where this is going this is boring to watch so he shuffled those scenes around um right just to give a little bit more energy to the to them that you're you're seeing them out of order a bit and i don't know that like you could say that rashomon does that too <laughs> like the way like re-editing and retelling a story or telling it in a in an, a different way but when i think of kurosawa i think of just like so such a classical storyteller that that flashiness in the first 20 minutes of this movie are um really stand out yeah yeah uh i <laughs> the the beginning of like the, the beginning of the movie opens on that shot of that like close-up of that dog uh-huh. obviously dehydrated and it goes on for the entirety of the opening credits and it's so like hard to watch <laughs> but it sets like the tone of the entire movie like after that point you're kind of also panting as well for you know hydration because everyone's like fanning themselves trying to keep cool then it starts raining and it's like oh i can't imagine how awful and humid it feels it's just like pouring rain but it's supposed to be a really hot day it just sounds really awful and miserable you you think you would think like oh the rain's coming it's gonna break gonna give us a break in this weather the rain does not look pleasant at all um no i want to say about that dog so kurosawa had trouble with the american film (laughs) censors because the, the americans were occupying japan at the time and everything had to be run by them uh there couldn't be any like pro-war anything in the movies. Like they, they'd have to uh, abide by some, uh, I don't know. I actually don't know how strict the regulations were, but there, there was a lot of stuff they couldn't get into their movies. Um, yeah. And so he, he was, uh, he was accused by the ASPCA of uh, intentionally dehydrating and starving that dog. Uh-huh. Oh and or no sorry he was accused of giving the dog rabies and uh and filming it dying when in <laughs> fact they had just taken the dog and run laps around the building with it and then filmed it while it was resting and <laughs> kurosawa was so angered by this that he said it's the only time that he had wished it's the only time he wished japan had won the war <laughs> oh my gosh that otherwise he didn't mind the American occupation apparently, but that that made yeah. him so angry that they would assume like, oh, of course he must have just given this dog rabies rather than just film a tired dog. <laughs> <laughs> the the fact that they would just make an assumption like that and not investigate. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like the American attitudes toward Japan were not very hospitable at the time either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Some of the some of that like influence is apparent in the movie as well. The we there's a whole scene in a, a baseball field during a baseball game, and I like I I and it's so close to like the end of the war. It's, this movie is four years removed from the end of the war, and and that influence is already kind of apparent. And it just seems like it's it's just part of it. It already seems like baseball is part of the culture. Yeah, it does. And there, that's actually like kind of a running theme through the movie because there's Takashi Shimura, who plays the older detective, 
he hasn't really been on the streets as much lately, but he knows all of the criminals. Um, mm -hmm. When Mufune describe like figure uh, Mufune like looking through mugshots finds this woman who was on the bus when he got his gun stolen. So um, they're assuming that this is the woman working as a lookout for the pickpocket, and um, Shimura recognizes her. And so, but he says, oh, she was wearing a dress. And he says, a dress, that doesn't sound like her because she used to be wearing kimonos. But now this is post-war yeah. American influence. Like a lot more yeah. people are wearing dresses. They're not wearing kimonos. And that stuff kind of gets brought up every once in a while. Um, oh, so the, he comments that she has a perm. And he, yeah. he's like, whoa, a perm. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 <laughs> this movie is very much about um, a, a generational divide. And it doesn't really hit the nail on the head. I, I, it's kind of a subtle. I mean, I, I don't know if "subtle" is the right, right term for it, but it's kind of a, um, kind of. He's taking a gentle hand to this, where I think maybe later in his yeah. career he might have been a little bit more, um, on the nose. Maybe even by like the mid '50s, he might have made it a bigger deal about, like, the generational differences of. Mufune, who was in the war, and Shimura, who, who is older, has a more of a pre-war mentality. Um, because right, yeah. Mufune has a lot of sympathy and empathy for the criminals, especially, and even, like, surprisingly, the one who stole his, or not, the guy didn't steal his gun. He's just the guy who got a whole, who, through the black market, got Mufune's gun. Oh, yeah. Where he... He turned to crime because he came from like kind of a, you see that they come from like kind of a dirt poor family and coming back from the war, his uh, duffel bag of all of his belongings was stolen. And uh, he kind of just turned to crime. Like he became so enraged by that. And you find yeah. out later on, Mifune admits like, well, coming back, my duffel bag was stolen too. And I almost turned to a life of crime but I just decided to do this instead and become a policeman. Um, <laughs> so he, he has like a sympathy for criminals that Shimura doesn't, even though Shimura like gets along with criminals better. Like you see him going and talking to these pickpockets and thieves and yeah. these, these kind of underworld, uh, uh, these underworld figures. And he's just like having a popsicle with them and he's talking really easy. Uh, but yeah. he has no sympathy. He talks a lot, a lot about how he just wants them all, wants to get rid of them all. <laughs> yeah, he's more distant about it. I think towards the end, he comments how, like, uh, uh, after your first arrest, it like gets easier because you you kind of disassociate from it more and more as you arrest more people. And he like it's it's weird because Shimura's character, uh, he. It's not because this movie I didn't realize plays like a buddy cop film and they're both like different, but there is no good, good, cop, good cop, bad cop dynamic. It's just they approach the, the situation uh, in a way that is not as common in like modern buddy cop movies where one of them is the, the tough guy asshole that'll beat it out of you. And the other guy, you know, is the gentler, like more understanding person. Uh, in this one, it's kind of like they both are on the same wavelength, but see see it very differently. Like, it's kind of like what you're saying about the old kind of old world and new world. It's like Kurosawa kind of represents that because he came before all these protest movements around the world and, and revolutionary cinema th throughout 
Eastern Europe, Western Europe, every, just all around the world. Like he came from a time before that, but he was making like these big grand technical uh, masterpieces within that as well. And he's taking some of the historical uh, stuff from Japan and, 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 then, and then he's doing modern pieces as well. He, I like how he goes uh, back and forth from that really well and kind of traverses in because this movie, I, I mean, it, it is like a noir. Like you already have that kind of American influence of that. Because noir is a, uh, at least initially, is a very uh, uh, American uh, subgenre of movies. And here we have that, uh, but it infuses it with Japanese culture in a really cool way. Like it's, 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 it's a, it has a little like a small tinges of Americanism if you want to call it that in it, but it's still very, uh, very much Japan and Kurosawa. Yeah, it, it's very like kind of Japanese mentality, I think. But yeah, he's an interesting figure in that it, it just in how much he has inspired Western culture and taken from Western culture. Like mm -hmm. we, we could go through his filmography and talk about like Seven Samurai and the Magnificent Seven or yeah you know yojimbo or fistful of dollars hidden fortress and star wars like he yeah. he he himself i think is inspired like he he was a big western fan i believe yeah uh, really liked the old classic western directors and you can see that in his later films like even though yojimbo ended up inspiring westerns it's clearly a western movie <laughs> like um yeah yeah definitely like the the samurai films are like the equivalent of like american westerns because it's very specific to to like Japan. And I think that there's a lot of ties between the ideals in Westerns and samurai films about honor and duty and all those things. So like the connection is like really like close. So it makes sense like that the, all these movies kind of inspire each other. And even yeah. the the other the other way around, like not just what inspired uh, 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 the Western film, just Kurosawa is really like inspired by Western uh, plays, like a lot of Shakespeare he adapted into Japanese versions. Yeah, well, it, the the other thing that he has in common for the samurai films of, that he made several of have in common with Westerns is every Western, even if it doesn't say it, is about the death of an age. It, it, it's like mm. the railroad comes to town uh, territory is voting to become a state. Law and order puts an end to the outlaw. The Native Americans and the buffalo disappear. Like that, th they're the end. Like all westerns are about the end of that era, even if they're not specifically about that. Um, samurai films are often about that as well. You you look at um, Yojimbo has the character who uses a gun. And uh, mm -hmm. it, it is about the end of the samurai era. And, and you know, there, there's all the masterless samurai or all the samurai who like they, they can't be samurai anymore. They have, they're, they're just like kind of wandering um, and they're turning to crime yeah. in some cases. Like it, it's interesting how similar those two genres are uh, beyond just like the, mm -hmm. yeah. the, lone, the lone drifter archetype. Um, yeah, there's something else I could... Oh, I, I was going to say that this movie is sort of like the Japanese answer to um, Italian like neorealism. Neo it's like Japanese neorealism because you kind of there is this this sort of sense of uh, society in, in, in sort of reconstruction and just uh, trying to go back to 
civilization where it's not chaotic you're not being uh firebombed and the movie takes place in tokyo is like you know capital of japan major city uh deeply affected by the war um so it, it, it does kind of feel like that too yeah the um those scenes in the black market when mufune is wearing his soldier's uniform and he's like looking really dirty and un uh unshaven because he's told by somebody like oh yeah they 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 sell guns at the black market. They loan them out. Yeah. Um, with if you give them your ration card, they'll give you the gun. And uh, there is one person just says, "All I know, you just you go you go through the black market. You look desperate, and somebody will come and approach you." And so he goes and does that, <laughs> and it takes yeah. days. It's like a really long montage. Mm. Uh, it, it it takes like eight minutes, and or something like that. I, it's something ridiculous amount of money for how long or a ridiculous length of time for how you know just to devote your movie just to him wandering through crowds yeah no dialogue but it really does give you an idea of how tedious this all is <laughs> like how yeah desperate, how desperate he is to get this but um it's like a, per stuff, a prolonged procedural yeah all of that stuff was filmed in an actual black market like the largest black market in tokyo and oh, wow. the, the uh, second unit went out and they, they carried the camera in a bag. Like they, they disguised it by like having the lens sticking out of a bag and they were all dressed up like in shabby clothing as well. And so they just like wandered around filming real stuff going on in the black market. Um, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> so, yeah, this movie is kind of like, kind of documentary-like. There's, yeah. there's also a sense, some of the characters say, that life is better now. Like even though, <laughs> even though things have to be rationed, they're like everybody is dirt poor and starving and desperate. There is a freedom that they didn't have before. Like there's a. I was listening to a bit of the commentary, and um, they were providing a bit of historical uh, context in that even before World War II, Japan had just been in like such a, a militaristic state, like all of their resources were going to the military, people were rationing even before they got into World War II. Um, and there was a widespread belief, a very possible, like a, a very plausible um, idea that if Japan lost the war, the emperor would order everybody to commit suicide. Oh my and God. So there, there is a sense at the time that even though it like life is really rough and like no nobody is like the economic boom would be coming soon like that like japan yeah. would bounce mm -hmm. back in just a few years uh that everybody living through this is just like well it's still better than when we thought we were all gonna have to kill ourselves <laughs> like uh, oh my gosh yeah i know and it just like it boggles the mind i'm like god like i we think we have it rough and we do like right now our country is going through some shit but <laughs> yeah imagine that it like the leader of your country who is not just a leader but is has been appointed by the gods like is a god basically um yeah i i don't want to like trivialize or generalize what other like the average japanese citizen thought but that's kind of like how you were supposed to treat the emperor as far as like to my knowledge that to, that that person would tell you tell you you have to kill yourself you and your entire family like 
holy cow <laughs> like that yeah just like so many people that like buy into like something like that or manipulate it into it and it's so crazy that we can like some people can create that kind of mass delusion and a lot of people is like yes this is the way things are and should be <laughs> yeah and and just the amount of stress everybody would be living under every day oh yeah of course that is nuts yeah my gosh um, um <laughs> oh. i was gonna uh thing i was gonna mention was that this movie reminds me well i think it's probably an obvious connection but uh P.T. Anderson's Magnolia, uh, where John C. Riley's character loses his gun and goes on this sort of mini odyssey within that movie to try to uh, locate the gun. Um, it, it felt very like P.T. Anderson maybe got uh, a lot of inspiration from from this movie uh, for that segment uh, in in Magnolia or that sub story. Yeah, that's I see what you're saying. That might be actually. I mean, he seems like the guy who'd be a big fan of this. <laughs> yeah. Kurosawa, anyway. Yeah. There, also, like a lot of the movie, like goes off of leads that lead to nothing. Like it's just like like you're saying, it's like a whole process. Like they get a lead. It seems, and a lot of the times, like it seems like, well, I don't know if that's much of a lead. And you're right. By the end of it, it leads to nothing. Uh, leads into interrogations and the guy that suggests the lady doesn't seem too sure either that it's her like the his process of narrowing narrowing it down it's like well maybe it isn't a guy maybe it is a maybe it's a woman <laughs> it's just like but i mean you know it's it, it's a whole process and a lot of it is kind of like based off of intuition or just you know deducing from what little they have because they really don't have much it almost seems like a hopeless task for Mifune to locate this gun. Like he, from the moment we see him, he is on edge. He is nervous, a nervous wreck trying to locate, uh, trying to, you know, locate his gun. He doesn't seem there. Like he's just so frazzled by everything. Yeah, he, like Mifune was so good at like this live wire energy and, and modulating it in a way that, his energy in this, even though he's he's kind of like making these big gestures, like he is acting big in these scenes, is not yeah. the same as, you know, Seven Samurai, certainly not the same as I Live in Fear. Um, he, I, 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 to, Mufune is so great in, in this and just about everything. And it's, it's a really great contrast when it's him and Murakami. Uh, no, sorry, Murakami is the character name. Um, Shimura? Shimura. Him and Shimura together, like, make a really good pair. They do, they, yeah. They do, they do have a kind of an idealistic similarity, but, you know, their, their generational differences and, like, how, how energetic and, like, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, uh, impatient Mufune is yeah. versus how still and just like measured Shimura is, uh, yeah. which is, you know, kind of their, their uh, kind of their dichotomy in Seven Samurai as well. But yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> um, He's very much the straight dog in uh, Seven Samurai. Uh, he plays like he, I think he has like fleas in that movie, doesn't he or something? Yeah. Or, uh... well, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if he actually, I can't remember if he actually has fleas, but I know that that scratching 
um, yeah. is, is kind of a, a sign of nervousness. It, oh, it, okay. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, um, it, it's supposed to be like a, like a, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? A, um, a conscious or like, yeah, a conscious act to try and make you, make you think that they're being nonchalant. Like kind of oh, like, right. yeah, yeah. Kind of like whistling sense. or whatever, whistling to be innocent. It's like I'm trying to make this person think that I'm I'm not guilty, but I'm really guilty. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um I, I do. I do want to double back just a second on the procedural. Like the, the this movie is all about the process of investigation, and you're right. A lot of the leads don't amount to anything, and yet the the ending does make like kind of a pretty big deal out of uh, Mufune figuring out who the killer is in a crowd of people by like observing them and piecing together the clues that he's learned about him because they yeah. don't know what the person looks like but what is it um he, he knows the person's general age that it's an, he's, he's in an expensive suit that's probably going to be stained in mud because he was out in the rain and yeah. he's left-handed and you yes. see him like kind of like his eyes going around the train station looking at everybody's pant legs and then he finds somebody who's muddy and he looks up and I laughed out loud because he looks up and he is the most guilty looking person. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> just look at that person's face and said, oh, yeah, they're the kid. They're the killer. It's, it's like it's comically yeah. like like sunken eyes and like a splotchy face and sweating and you're like shifting around, looking side to side and really angry. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that is a cartoon face of a murderer. <laughs> that that mud might as well have been blood. <laughs> <laughs> that's how obvious it was yeah um no yeah it's i i, I kind of like the, that it takes so long that that is just kind of like the journey to, to to finding to finding the gun and that's the whole movie and i also i, I like like the kind of ticking clock that's in in the movie with how many bullets are left in the gun it's like well you know that's another bullet another person gone uh there's three bullets left <laughs> and it's like counting down to like and, and and I think there's like a a a, a contrast between Shimura and Mifune in the scene where someone else is uh, I think killed by the gun or they don't know yet and Mifune is worried that you know it's 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 from his gun and Shimura is kind of like does it matter if it's from your gun someone's dead like <laughs> it's just like he's so obsessed over trying to find this this gun it's like almost. I wonder if there's like some kind of like Freudian thing to it. Just like he's trying to find his, as a rookie cop, maybe his manhood. Uh, and it keeps, you know, it keeps going off when he's not around and it's <laughs> like hurting other people. I don't know. It was just so like, he's so obsessed with it. Well, yeah, but also like, that's interesting. I had not considered that at all. Um, <laughs> I had not like put that into it at all. Just that like he feels responsible when of course this character is going to kill people like this or, or might kill people with or without yeah is like mafune's gun it doesn't yeah. it doesn't matter whose gun 
it yeah, was. That person could have bought a different gun. He's, he, those crimes are still probably been committed. Yeah. And yeah. imagine that the amount of gun control that they know how many people he can hurt because they know the exact number of bullets. Like, he's like, well, he's never going to be able to reload that gun because the yeah. country <laughs> is selling bullets. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's crazy. I, I like the scene early on when he gets the bullets from the crime scene. Uh, or he goes and gets the bullets out of uh, out of the the target, like the, the shooting range. He goes and grabs um, a bullet from a misfire he had, and he has it checked by forensics. And the forensics scientist says, "Yeah, it's a match. It's the same gun. Good job. That's some great detective work." Oh. <laughs> and like Mafune is just like freaking yeah. out. Like he just like is so crushed because he gets the proof yeah. that it's his gun that's uh, that's another thing that kind of surprised me in this movie there are moments of like comedy but like that scene is so funny like when he's like it's funny because like Mifun is looking for this gun and he knows and it like it, and it turns out to be a match is like great like that's another clue but like that's not what I wanted to hear <laughs> that it's a match um and his reaction to that is so funny yeah I Kurosawa is such an empathetic director, I, mm -hmm. I think, because he he usually will shade even the villains with some uh, some humanity. And it, I mean, clearly in this one, the way that Mufune gives the speech is about how he almost and he he was in the same circumstances as the killer and almost took that path as well. And so he can't like he can't not feel any empathy for him because of how close he was to that himself. And right. that, that, that kind of philosophy, like kind of Shimura has this idea, like, well, you went through it and you didn't do that. Right. Like um, that's the, the counterpoint to that philosophy is that like you were in the same circumstances and you didn't choose this. So why should you care that this about this person who did? Um, but I, I can't decide in this movie really where Mufune's, uh not Mufune, I'm sorry. I can't tell quite in this movie where Kurosawa's own beliefs lie. I can't tell if he's more Shimura or more Mufune. And my my tendency to think is, is to think that Kurosawa is kind of a, I think he was just a little bit out of step with youth culture at the time. Like I don't, yeah. I don't think he, he really had any interest in or, um, you know, brotherhood to youth culture. And I think he, he kind of uh, belonged to uh, like maybe a generation bef before even his own time. Like, but then, then again, in other things like Seven Samurai, Mufune really poked holes in the kind of like classical tradition of the samurai. Like he, he really like tears them down a bit too. Um, but I can't, I can't tell in this movie where Kurosawa's own sympathies lie. Uh, I think yeah, I think it's he, hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, I, I I think honestly, like every character is a little bit him, like like they say. Yeah, um, mm. like I I think he identifies a little bit with everybody with all the factions, which is certainly what like gives things like Seven Samurai their their power. Like I love the fact that Seven Samurai um, spends so much time getting into all the different factions on in the movie. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything more you want to say about this? I feel like we're kind of been going on a little while. 
No, yeah, it, it was a good first time watching it. I look forward to uh, watching it uh, again. It was a good movie. Yeah, I I have the the Criterion AK100 box that has the 25 films from Kurosawa. And oh. in, in I I got it on DVD. I, for a while, I had like, I had like six or seven Kurosawa movies on Criterion and then they came out with that box and I was like, all right, well, it doesn't have any special features. That's a really good price for 25 movies. And all <laughs> I really, all I really want are the movies anyway. And now I've got the movies with no special features and like they keep putting out all these Blu-rays that look fantastic. <laughs> and it's like, well, I can't, buy <laughs> I can't buy these movies for the third, sometimes fourth time. Cause I've, I've had, yeah, I had seven samurai on VHS. I bought it on every format since then. Um, yeah, I feel you on that. And I, I just can't do it again. I'm just, <laughs> just going to stick with what I have. But yeah. uh, that box is fantastic. Like Kurosawa. I got to check it out. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's in print anymore. Um, I, but this is, uh, like Kurosawa is one of my favorite directors. This is an early film in his career. Um, I mean, kind of. He, he'd done, let me see. He, yeah, this is, uh, what, what is this, this like his 10th? 10th film. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I say early in his career, but, you know, it's before he, his masterpieces, I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think the, he, this one's kind of really well regarded. It, it's one I, I honestly don't think of a lot when I think back on his career, but like watching it this time, I was like, man, this is like, this is really solid. I'm really enjoying this, even if it like, you experienced is making me feel like I need more AC. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Like I was trying to do like a rewatch of not a rewatch, but a watch through of Kurosawa's uh, movies from the beginning. Um, and I watched the first two. I, I definitely didn't. I forget what the first one's called. That one was just okay. Uh, Sanshiro uh, Sagata. Is that yeah, I think I had seen it before and I couldn't remember. I think I seen the first two parts i think there's only two right or is there a third part no there's just two just two yeah i think i've seen them before i couldn't remember them and yeah it was just fine stray dogs is definitely like um well i also haven't seen drunken angel so like a drunken angel straight drunken angel yeah okay um maybe that's where his like kind of rent like beginning to like greatness starts with drunken angel yeah because it's it's drunken angel i think kind of starts his maturity because before that, you've got um, like the two Sanchiro Zagata, which are pretty, pretty typical melodramas from the period where they're taking like a historical figure and they're like, it, it's, yeah, it, I mean, it's, um, it, it, I, I, I don't want to say anything bad because I think it's good and I think he's a great director, but it's very yeah. generic of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. most beautiful is almost a propaganda film about like women working at a, uh, uh, a plant during World War, like World War II. Uh, it, it's like, it's very uh, propagandistic. Like not, yeah. not necessarily like pro-Japan. It's just like, it, it feels like it's a PSA or something like that. I actually am a big fan of those who tread on, or the men who tread on Tiger's Tail. Um, sorry. We, that one, I think that's my next one, yeah. It, uh, that's my I, next one. I, that's the one I think it's based on a um, it's based on a play or maybe a, a 
I'm looking at now, maybe a couple of plays, but it, it's kind of a bit stage bound in a way that Kurosawa wouldn't always be. He liked to shoot outside, but yeah, I, it has some really good, like really cool visuals and there's some good humor in it. But yeah, I, just to jump ahead, I, I think Drunken Angel is when he starts uh, to kind of really mature and um, right. like put himself into his movies more than maybe he was. But um, so I, I think that's actually going to be it for our discussion on Stray Dogs, or Stray Dog. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna be back to discuss our next film. あるそしきのカンプタ。250万。あとは契約を履行した時その男が渡す。殺し屋ナンバー 殺してもらいたい外人がいるの。私はもう借り解いたわ。あなたは身も知らんたに謝って殺したのに。完全な誤殺だわ。あなたはもうおしまい。Branded to kill. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different here in my introduction. I am going to just read from Wikipedia the description of this film. <laughs> The story follows Goro Hanada in his life as a contract killer. He falls in love with a woman named Misako, who recruits him for a seemingly impossible mission. When the mission fails, he becomes hunted by the phantom number one killer, whose methods threaten his sanity as much as his life. Now, the reason I read from Wikipedia is because I have tried for weeks to watch this movie, and there's something about it, the way it opens, the just like the first few minutes, I could never make it more than five minutes without falling asleep. And, <laughs> and like, I mean, I'm, I'm older. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm, I'm not getting enough sleep when I'm sitting on the couch and comfortable. I tend to start to drift anyway. Uh, so I wasn't blaming that on the movie. I'm not saying the movie's boring, but I would start to drift just a little bit where my eyes would close and I'd open them up and I would be completely lost. I, I had such a hard time following this movie. The first two or three times I started to watch it. And finally, I powered through it last night. And it would have, I'm going to sound like such an idiot here because I'm not, I'm not going to say I didn't get this movie. I'm not going to say it's not for me. I'm not going to say it's bad. I am going to say, um, well, I am going to say maybe in a way I didn't get this movie because I just, I was lost so much of it and I would find a groove. And I think for the last half of this movie, I was like really into it, but um, I, I definitely need to watch it again. I need to see this movie several times just to really like <laughs> get into what Seijun Suzuki is doing here with how much he's, he's chopping this movie up. It, it's like almost like visual non sequiturs where he'll be like, some people will be talking and then it'll show somebody walk off and they're in a, completely different location and then it'll change again in both characters in a different location but they're continuing the conversation um it's just like it's a movie you you really do have to just pay attention to if you look away for a second you look back and you're going to be a little confused so i i've only got to see this once 
I feel bad, but we're, it is what it is. I'm going to listen to you about this movie. Um, <laughs> but I, I ended up really liking it, but also, like, I, I don't know, man. I got to watch it again. But you, 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 this, you love this movie. This was your choice. What do you have to say? Yeah, I really do love this movie. Uh, this is only my second time watching it, but I loved it more this time around. And I, I, I am kind of glad that you started off with that because I do feel like a lot of Seijun Suzuki movies are hard to follow. I uh, accidentally started watching Tokyo Drifter uh, because I thought that's the one I ha we had chosen uh, or agreed upon. And I got through most of it. And I have seen Tokyo Drifter before, and I still don't know what to Tokyo Drifter is about. And I just saw it. It's, I feel like I maybe looked away one, like one too many times, and it just like the gaps in the story just kind of go. I I think I understand Branded to Kill much better, but Branded to Kill is like almost like a psych, somewhat psychedelic, uh, mess, and just very experimental in in in, in the style of. Uh, uh, cinematography and editing that they use for the movie. Um, it is, there's a lot of, uh, actually, I'm surprised at like how much action there is in this movie. And it remind the story of the movie reminded me a lot of John Wick, the way it sets up this kind of like world where there are these rules among these killers. And now he's like on the run. It's, it was, I, I just think this is like the coolest movie. <laughs> it is. It's a really cool setup. Yeah. But it's so like obtuse sometimes what yeah. the characters are talking about, who the mm -hmm. characters are. Because uh, the number one killer you, you see pretty early in the movie, but you don't realize who it is until the end almost. And yeah. that last section of the movie is when I was like, I get now what he's doing here. I, I love the, the way he's like losing his mind and how kind of like bizarre and funny it gets. But mm -hmm. I, um, it took me so long to kind of figure out, like, like people will have a line of dialogue where he, when he meets Misako and he is immediately kind of like struck by her. She's a very striking figure. Yeah. Um, and like, it's falling. She kind of has her. like Barbara Steele eyes. Very. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because the, the, there are rules for killers, the hitmen and the hitmen are ranked. There's, he's like, what is he? Number three. Yeah, number three. Yeah. And so the hitmen are ranked, and the rules are you cannot fall in love. He is married, though, but you cannot fall in love. Uh, <laughs> and you cannot drink. I can't remember what else, but he immediately kind of falls in love with Masako. Yeah. And they're talking, and she says, I don't like men. And his response is, Ah, so you have no hope for the future. Uh, <laughs> yeah i don't like that's what the dialogue is like in this movie yeah yeah <laughs> i i mean i kind of like love that and am in not infuriated but but just frustrated by it because i i love like new waves all over the world whether we're talking this japanese new wave french new wave yeah. czech new wave or the like more recent korean new wave it, it's all about just throwing out the rule book and it really is, yeah. I love that. I love that this movie exists. This movie is as if there have been no other movies, is almost how he approached it. Yeah. Like no, mm -hmm. It doesn't follow any cinematic conventions. And I love that. But also, it, it was just like I was getting frustrated at times how much I would have to rewind because I thought I had missed something. 
And next time I'm just, I may watch it again tonight. I was thinking about watching it again before this, this showing, but I, I didn't have yeah. time. Uh, yeah. I really wanted to watch it again too. I, I wanted to watch, watch it today, but I ran out of time. So I may watch it again tonight because I just, I'm like, I'm fascinated by it. It's like a little puzzle box almost that I have to. Yeah. Yeah. Open. Um, this this movie is like a sort of uh, like it is part of Japanese new wave, and it's very much like a uh, like a Japanese Godard film, like just the style and, and the breaking of conventions, and you know, featuring young talent, and it's just so crazy and wild, and it is a very like it feels like it's a very kind of uh, low budget made film. I'm not, sure if 20 million yen is a lot for a budget back then but it the way that it just kind of plays out it's very simple but what makes it so interesting and dynamic is the the editing and the way it's shot there's shots that don't make a lot of sense and you try to think like is there any meaning behind this and some of it just seems like it's just style for style's sake like there's like a like a, a a moment where uh goro is kind of like ducking hiding around he's moving around and the camera is way it keeps panning way too low like where the cutoff uh is is so low like then the moment he stands up it's like you, you half his body would be cut off by the frame and there's a lot of like weird things like i i think in, in a sense it does make goro feel more trapped in that situation but it is such an odd choice for camera angle sometimes the camera angle is like way off where the focus is like on the banister of a of like a like a staircase or something or or like a fence and in in and, and the characters like are out of focus off in the background yeah uh and I, I kind of like that like style for style's sake isn't always bad and i yeah. think i think what i like about that is that it feels like suzuki is playing it feels like he is just doing things to like amuse himself. I did read that he he kind of, uh, Nikatsu were very unhappy with the original script. And so they hired him to rewrite it. And he said mm -hmm. he would come on to the set with ideas and like kind of make things up while they were there. And yeah. so that that's why the movie kind of doesn't, it, it feels so all over the place at times. But I, I also in a way love that, that, yeah. that it is just him playing around and being like, uh, this doesn't have any meaning, but it looks cool, and people are going to think it has meaning because, like, there's just like the way some of these characters are framed. And there's a scene, um, there's a scene later on in the movie, in the, like the last act of the movie, where uh, number the number one killer and him are kind of like locked in that battle in the apartment building, where yeah. where. Um, there is a silhouette of a film canister, like not a canister, but like a, a projector. There's a silhouette of a projector and it is kind of on uh, number three, Joe Shishido is the actor's name. Like just a little bit and I'm like, ah, that kind of looks like if you were to dissect this movie, you would come up with all of these theories about what he was trying to say with the framing of this shot and how the, the projector is like, like, you know, you'd come up with all these film school theories about what he's saying about the power of film and and mythologizing self-mythologizing whatever you want to say but honestly i bet he was just like oh that looks really cool when you put the shadow there <laughs> like i don't think he yeah <laughs> i don't think he necessarily meant things people are going to read in there and of course it's Im impossible for him to put this movie together without there being some meaning or like some personal meanings he's put into things but 
I think it's all mostly accidental. And I don't mean accidental, like he was lucky this movie is good. I think just accidental in that, like, like that wasn't necessarily what he meant, but it, it came out anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like, like, like Michael Bay. Like, he has oh. like, because you can consider Michael Bay like an auteur, even I, I, I'm sure a lot of people don't like that, but he does have a distinct style and Suzuki has a distinct style, but most of their films are usually action movies, but they're very like particular. You watch a Michael Bay film, you know, you're watching Michael Bay. And when you're watching Suzuki, you, you watch, you know, it's a Suzuki film. And I think they shoot in a film, is their films in a way that they think is cool. And that kind of becomes their style even and 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 it's easy to kind of try to rationalize it with uh, give it meaning because it's so common and recurrent as uh, a visual theme for these directors that it kind of their intent is not to add meaning but in a way it kind of does they're kind of still saying something uh, with the style that they choose to you to to continue to do in all their films because if if they had no connection with that style they would do something differently every time. But obviously, there's something about what they're doing that they want to, you know, continue evoking that that feeling of this is a Suzuki film, this is a Michael Bay film. Yeah, I I do not like Michael Bay at all. I <laughs> can't stand Michael Bay. But yeah. I, I I also feel if you subscribe to auteur theory, he is most definitely an auteur. I mean, you you cannot deny it you look at a Michael Bay movie and it's like, well, that's Michael Bay. Like the same way, like Zack Snyder or. Um, oh Ed, yeah. That's another guy. Ed yeah. Or something. Like they just keep putting their obsessions on screen. So of course, it, uh, yes, there are tours. I, I, I think like, cause we've accepted horror uh, tours, but there are also like uh, action tours out there. Like, uh, like just if you like their, their, their work is kind of described, but they have like a dis- distinct, style like yeah like Rennie Harlan like you know you're watching a Rennie Harlan movie <laughs> I'd, I'd <laughs> just say, to give an example <laughs> I'd say Paul Verhoeven yeah there you go of John course Wu. yeah John Woo's another one yeah I think I think Kenji Fukasaku as, yeah as well. I, I don't know yes. I, I mean we can talk about auteur theory but um, <laughs> I I want to I want to talk about the main character here Joe Shishido, have you seen him in anything else? Um, I think I've seen. Is he in Youth of the Beast, or no? Wait, um, maybe oh. not. Maybe let me let me look because I I know I've seen him in a couple of other things. I'm looking. I th- up. Yeah, I think I may have seen him too, but I'm not a hundred percent. It might just be this movie. What? Why is he not showing up? There we go. Okay. Uh, well, oh, I've only seen three films. He is in Youth of the Beast, and he's in one of the battles without honor and humanity. Uh, Which he one? He is such an odd-looking guy. Yeah. He artificially, he those are implants in his cheeks. Like. Oh, really? Yeah. He went underwent plastic surgery to make himself look more uh, distinctive and gave himself chipmunk cheeks, basically. Yeah, and it, it looks like he just always has something in his mouth, but um, apparently it worked for him because he started to get like a lot of roles and a lot of lead roles where he'd been a mm. struggling actor before he did it. <laughs> uh, he, yeah, he he's so good. He is. He is. He just yeah. died. Uh, died last year. He died last January. 
Uh, he he has so many credits. He's like two hundred and twenty eight credits on IMDb. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He, so um, I just think that's so. Every time I see him, I've only seen him in like three things now, but yeah, he, he's just such a. And like I look at that face, <laughs> like well, I mean, it worked for him, but it, I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to discuss his appearance, whether it's good or bad. I'm just saying, yeah. like, what a weird decision to basically. Like put implants in your cheeks so that it looks like you're always stuffing know, your face yeah. with something. I didn't know those were implants. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, um, I I feel like the the tone of the movie is set by the the one moment in the movie where uh, where Joshi Shishido is uh, removing a pipe from uh, from this uh, that leads to a sink, and then he sticks his gun up and he shoots it. And kills a guy that way. Yeah, I love that montage of him. Like, yeah, <laughs> the performers. Um, you've seen you've seen Ghost Dog, right? Oh, I haven't. No. Oh, Jim yeah. Jarmusch, Ghost Dog, mm-hmm. fantastic. I love, Jim. I love that movie. Uh, he he borrows this that murder. He he uses that. Oh, does he? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. He yeah, uses I that. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's the movie is very uh is much more violent than i thought it would be for a movie from what year is this 60? i think it's 67 yeah for 67 a lot of nudity not oh, expecting what yeah go ahead sorry the amount of sex in this movie and not just like <laughs> oh the characters are having sex but they are naked yeah. they're on the stairs like it yeah. is really like a lot more than i expected um, same yeah and the one there's the one uh character that's naked the entire almost the entirety of of her scenes well is that, all her scenes is that his uh is that his wife because she's dressed uh, in the beginning then but then the other the killer okay so the opening of the movie uh the number oh, three, yeah it is his wife yeah Joe Shishido, who's playing goro is approached by somebody who bong uh, another hitman who botched a job and they're they're gonna kill him, but he's trying to get back in their good graces. And so he asks Goro to help him. But while Goro is off sniffing rice, <laughs> the oh yeah, the, other, the, the guy like seduces his wife. Yeah. And then she mm-hmm. is naked for quite a bit of the movie after that. Yeah. It's, yeah, uh, that, that's a thing. Like the the rice thing, he likes the smell of rice. That's like a sexual thing for him, too. It's so weird. Yeah, because there's a scene. Uh, I like he, rice, but yeah, he's not with, that much. So there's a weird scene where he's with Misako and then he's with his wife. And he like sniffs some rice and then goes back to have sex. And <laughs> then he's having sex and he pulls the blanket off of the woman's face and it's his wife. And he gets really angry and punches her and calls her a slut. And I was like, Yeah, what the hell is going on? Like, oh, because no, he gets in, she she like pulls his hair and calls him a psycho, and then he punches yeah. her. Now, like, what what just happened with this? What what did I miss in here? Like, this movie is put together so bizarrely, but I I do love it. I was just like so confused, and I was so it tired. Is good, yeah, <laughs> I was so tired that I was just having a really hard time putting it together. Yeah, the I, I really I really enjoy how some of the action scenes are shot. Like the thing with the car where he's underneath the car and shooting at at the people in the building. It's so cool. And then it just ends with like a dummy getting run over by the car, by a rolling car. <laughs> oh, there's this, yeah. this is the best. <laughs> there's the scene where he, he kills that guy in the like the concrete bunker. Yeah. Remember, like it's the what do they call him? It, it would have been like a, a 
an armament from World War II. Bomb like, shelter? No, because it looked more like it was a gunner's nest. Where they oh, were, like a like a pillbox? Yeah. Yeah. Where, where it's kind of early in the movie where he he throws something into one of the, or he shoots out, like the guy has a mirror set up in all of the windows so he can run into other windows and Joe Shishido can't get anywhere near the building. So he shoots out the mirror and while the guy's distracted, he runs up and he throws a gas canister in the building and then shoots it. Yeah. It an incredibly long, like fire suit stunt where the guy comes out and he's on fire and he runs a, a great distance and then eventually hits the car and just falls over. Yeah. And I, I was looking at that, like, I'm wondering if they actually might've really seriously injured a stuntman because- Oh my gosh, yeah. You, you don't see, normally a fire suit, you can see like, oh, they're wearing bulky padding. This person is rail thin and like fire, fire suit scenes, they're measured in seconds, right? They're like really short. Even no matter what you mm -hmm. see on the film, like they're short periods of time. This is one unbroken take that he is running across this field and does not appear to be wearing any protective clothing, but is completely oh, on know. fire. It, yeah, it was insane. Yeah, this yeah, this whole movie is is is, is insane. Uh, the the scene. So <laughs> there's a moment where uh, where uh, Goro has to help uh, Misako. Uh, assassinate someone I think and he has like a time window of like three seconds it's a moving target uh, there will be stuff obscuring the the field of view and this is what kind of leads uh, everyone uh, what leads to the to his manhunt uh, I, I, I still don't know the way that that's edited together I don't know exactly what happens I, I, like the shot goes off and this person, innocent person is killed. And then there's a shot of the butterfly. Did the butterfly cause all this? Is that supposed to be like a, uh, a butterfly effect reference or something? And then like it flies away. Yeah, I on, on a string. I think because he says later that uh, something feather light landed on the barrel of yeah. the gun and caused right, him to yeah. miss that he's at such a great distance. They just like a like a millimeter off. And he's completely off his target, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It, I think that's what he's trying to say. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, it's just it's, it's it's put together so weird. And then the shot of the butterfly flying away is so funny. It's like, yeah, there's all the weird butterfly stuff with Misako, right? Like she's yeah, all, yeah. And she's posed in front of the wall, and she's like, "How do you want me to film uh -huh. you?" Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a lot of really striking imagery that I don't understand in this. <laughs> yeah like the i maybe like the, the the butterfly thing like pinning them on the wall maybe it's like a sexual thing for her it's like like her sexual conquest or, or something and he's like to her to her uh gora is just like another one of those i like that this movie does focus a lot on like the kind of the the sort of psychosexual aspect of goro and it's kind of like his downfall he's like a a bond with like serious like sexual neurosis because the movie is very like smooth and kind of silly uh, and, and very cool. And I think uh, he would make, he would have made a great Bond. And I think this is like Japan's version of like a Bond movie. Yeah. With all the sex and violence and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, there was something I was just about to say. Oh, so the, this is only my fourth Seijun Suzuki movie. Yeah. And the first one I saw was Pistol Opera. 
uh, I, I was working at Suncoast. It came out on video. I saw it. There's like a bunch of quotes about how great Seijun Suzuki was as like a classic director. I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch this. And I bought it unseen. It turns out that movie is a yeah. sequel to this. Uh -huh. And I that made a lot of sense when I looked it up afterwards, because when I was watching this, I was like, hey, wait a minute. This ranked killer thing didn't. What was that in? I was like, oh, it was in Pistol Opera, another movie by him. Does he use this a lot? So I looked it up and it was a sequel. I was like, oh, that's a, a backwards way that I discovered this director. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that that was a sequel. I knew about that movie. And then it's a, it's a loose sequel is what I see. Yeah, it has yeah. the ranked killer uh, thing. I, I, it's about yeah. a killer who's ranked as whatever. I wanted um, to see it. I couldn't find it anywhere. I went to look and I, I don't have my DVD anymore. I don't remember ever oh, getting rid of it. Damn, yeah. I can't find it. I might have lent it to somebody back in Alaska. Yeah. Happened. Um, so the, the end of this movie, oh, <laughs> before I get to this. So when Goro and the other guy are, are going off to do the job in the beginning, and the other guy says to him, uh, like they're talking about the other ranked killers, and he says, like, what about number one? And Goro says, he's just a myth. Like, what do you mean? There has to be a number one. Yeah. You guys are all ranked. There has to be a number one killer. Uh, but <laughs> it's weird that they, they kind of consider him like he, he doesn't live or he doesn't exist. He's like a yeah. urban legend. But it's like, well, no, if you're number three, it stands to reason there's a number two and a number one. And I mean, and doesn't it seem like they're all trying to get to that position? Like, that's the goal? <laughs> well, I don't know about that the, title. Yeah. What I would assume is mm -hmm. that if you rank the killers like that, they're all just going to like, trying be trying to get to the number one spot i mean so i don't know what there is in this world if maybe there's like a a john wick style level of truce where it's like you can't it like against the rules to go after each other and yeah maybe yeah that seems really like, possible. but also if you get killed if you botch a mission it seems like i don't know i was gonna say it seems like a harsh judgment but i guess they're killing people anyway what does it matter yeah it's yeah it's just a, this kind of like brotherhood of killers that are all part of this it's very like seedy underworld definitely not your mainstream fare as far as movies go <laughs> like not like good, people not doing good stuff uh throughout um there was uh damn oh I'll, there's a lot of scenes with uh misako where it's like she's like in the rain or it's she's wet or like it's so weird. Yeah, butterflies, birds, and rain. Yeah, kind of like the motif around her. Yeah, although she she is like her her character is sort of kind of like almost like goth, uh, morbid. Like her one of her lines is "My dream is to die." <laughs> like that's just so like the rain makes a lot of sense. It's just such a weird like visual trope in an action movie because it's this kind of movie kind of teeters between like the idea of art and uh uh i guess trash like it's kind of like uh, it's both like it in a ways it's accidental accidentally arty by trying not to be uh but it's still cool kind of visually pleasing pleasing very hedonistic movie like it's very about like you know what we like as far as entertainment and a lot of that is in the movie too with all the like I said before, the sex and violence, because there is a lot of both of those things in this movie. Yeah, you know, it, it, I did think after watching this, like the line between what we consider to be good art and trash, like just trash. Yeah. Like, like, like this movie, you're right, straddles that line 
and it was not well liked. It was a, fa- a failure on on its release. It right. led to Suzuki being basically blacklisted for ten years. Um, he he got fired uh, after from Nikatsu after this came out. Uh, and it wasn't until people like Jim Jarmusch and Quentin Tarantino and Wong Kar Wai and all these people started to champion this movie and Seijun Suzuki that he kind of had a a, a comeback. Um, yeah. Well, later career comeback because it didn't take that long. He he was making movies in the seventies, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, I I watched it. And I'm like, well, what's the difference? Like, in a way, what's the difference between this and an Ed Wood movie? Right? They, like, they're both yeah. directors that mm-hmm. are putting their obsessions on screen that are not following cinematic rules. Like in unless you're going to say like intent, it looks like Seijun Suzuki is trying to break rules. Whereas Ed Wood just didn't know the rules. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) And, but if you, I mean, this is a, a a tangent because I I want to talk about Glenn or Glenda on this show one time. Oh, I love Ed Wood. (laughs) Because Glenn or Glenda is not just an accidental like trash midnight movie masterpiece. I think Glenn or Glenda is a flat out genius work. Yeah. And whether he did that accidentally or it was on purpose, the fact is that something like Glenn or Glenda and something like this are very similar in my mind in, in kind of just like, and I think in just how they're presented, how they come together, how they just like utilize all these things that you think shouldn't work um, and, and are also incredibly um incredibly almost freudian in what like the weird sexual psychosexual obsessions they get thrown up on the screen yeah um but but it makes me like ed wood died an alcoholic making nudie films Mm -hmm. and and is considered to be one of the worst like worst directors of all time certainly these days his reputation he's more warmly received by by the film community than he was at the time Right. But that wasn't always the case. But Seijun Suzuki then is does something very similar and is lifted up as a genius. Yeah. And it like it makes me think: Would Ed Wood have had that same career if he had found like the audience of film critics and fans that would have supported that that type of work? Um, yeah, so I wonder. Yeah, it, it just made me like sorry uh no go ahead yeah after watching this movie i was like well why is it that this gets elevated to like pop art when so much other stuff that seems that seems on its surface to be just as accomplished is discarded as trash yeah that's an interesting thing i mean what is it about is it because maybe the the genre i mean this is action i feel like action is a is a genre that's not regarded as highly by critics, but is more accepted than, say, uh, horror or st- like science fiction, uh, like some of the 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 Edward stuff, like Bride of the Monster, like, and I guess Plan Nine as well. But like, I I I don't know because I really do enjoy those movies for for what they are, and they're sort of like relics of uh, movies made by very independent filmmakers who just went out and made the things that they wanted to make and that they like and. And just kind of like kept doing it because Ed Wood made a, a ton of films. He wasn't like a one and done guy. Um, and 
he just kind of kept going. It's weird. It, it, you can kind of compare him to, in a way, to like Orson Welles. Orson Welles was like almost immediately rejected. He made a masterpiece and, and every subsequent work is, you know, considered great now. Um, but he was one that was uh, sort of disillusioned by the system, whereas Ed Wood wasn't. And he just can kind of continued doing, and was so optimistic. And, and I mean, In, about like the, the type of film that you that you choose to sort of focus that where it leads you it could go one way or another yeah i i, I mean a lot of this we'll save for an ed wood episode maybe yeah we'll, <laughs> of course I, I have a feeling um i have a feeling rick will kill me if i don't ha have him on the ed wood episode but, <laughs> uh, yeah i'd be down for an incredible uh three-headed on that one yeah yeah because i like i said glenn or glenda i think is i yeah that's actually one i haven't seen oh Man, Glenn or Glenda, <laughs> if, if Glenn or Glenda had come out 20 years later at the height of the 70s mid midnight movie, craze, yeah. like alongside Holy Mountain and Eraserhead, I think Ed Wood would be considered like the godfather of cults and like of like midnight. Yeah, movie. I'm surprised think, that it's not like now. I, I think if he was, I, I don't want to say that he was completely ahead of the time because some of his movies are pretty trashy. Uh, I just think that like, if that movie had come out in the mid seventies, he would have found a counterculture audience that would have maybe been more supportive. And I, I wish we could have seen what, it, what he came out with. Yeah, for real, yeah. I, but I, I like Leonard Glenn does fucking fantastic. But I wanted to quote really quick uh, of uh, Michael McKean in This Is Spinal Tap, because we were talking about that uh, fine line uh, his line in that movie, it's such a fine line between stupid and clever. And I feel like maybe Brandon to kill is playing with that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I don't want to denigrate this by saying, like, no, what yeah, separates this from trash. I think this is really a unique film and yeah. it sticks with, it's going to stick with me. It's something I need to see again, which I love is, it so much, <laughs> which is the sign of a, you know, a great movie. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying like, there's, there's elements of it that I'm like, I, I'm just so confounded by. <laughs> yeah, for no reason at all. The movie kind of climaxes climaxes in that uh, boxing ring. Yeah, and that's where, thing where I was like, "What's this <laughs> supposed to symbolize?" I bet it doesn't symbolize anything. Yeah, location. Yeah, I mean, the only meaning that I could find is like maybe we're here all here for the spectacle of death, and that's why he's in that ring and he's being hunted down by number one. And he's uh, what's this tactic? Like he first he he wears you down and then he kills you. And that's kind of what he's doing. He's just like kind of running around the ring and trying to avoid being shot. <laughs> I, I, at, at a certain point, I started to feel like, like how Goro must feel where I'm just like, just fucking shoot me once in the back of the head and I won't know about it. Don't put me through this. <laughs> As an audience yeah. member, I was like, God, this has got to be torture because he can't leave. He can't move anywhere. Like closing the windows barring the doors no matter what happens it seems like number one knows what he's doing inside the apartment and can see yeah. him and he, he like he keeps getting these phone calls and then like oh i guess he can see me through that little crack right there um uh, it, it's kind of like yeah it's kind of like the end of the conversation with where he's <laughs> just like looking for every little thing in the apartment that might be a bug yeah. uh both both movies do a really good job in creating the sense of anxiety. I think for uh, for different reasons in both the movies, but 
I just wanted uh, to share Mifune to find his gun in uh, in Stray Dog like so bad. It was just like, we got to find this gun, man. <laughs> this yeah, is causing yeah. you a lot of mental strain. And same thing with 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 uh, Goro and in, in Branded to Kill. It's just like, man, like he is really like this is like so many events that led to is really a stroke of bad luck. Things out of his control. Now he's being hunted himself. It, yeah. And he like has such a fall from grace where he's he's just uh, like drinking all the time he's constantly drunk yeah uh, there's a point where like the bottle breaks and he just drinks out of like the broken bottle and um i i i really love the part one like the entire movie once number one yeah number one is shown that's probably my favorite stretch of the movie my favorite sustained stretch of the movie where they're in the apartment together because i found that so like interesting but also so funny yeah how the two of them like like they come to some agreement where they're not going to kill each other but neither of them can trust the other one even though number one has the upper hand on everything like they go somewhere they go arm in arm even if they're going one of them has to go to the bathroom even though number one just pees his pants and like Goro, yeah. <laughs> Goro laughs at him and he's like what's so funny <laughs> as, he, as he's pouring urine out of his shoe yeah oh my god yeah this movie is yeah it's really funny it's a lot of fun um one of the lines that i like towards the end uh goro is trying to enjoy his rice he, he i think he says like i just want to look at the lake and eat my rice and that just seemed like such a perfect like i love rice so much that just seemed like a really perfect thing uh to say just like leave me alone let me enjoy the lake and have my yeah. rice <laughs> Uh, well hey do you have anything more you want to say about this one uh no just that i really love this movie i am looking forward to re-watching it i might i might buy the criterion for this one i'm interested on i'm interested in looking at some of the special features because this is such a fun movie for me and it feels a lot of it feels like ahead of its time kind of modern i think if you're not used to watching movies with subtitles maybe check this one out it goes by uh it's kind of crazy and wild but there's some really cool stuff in there it's a overall very cool movie and, and it seems like it's very influential on a lot of modern uh action directors yeah i i would i would second that i would just say do not watch it tired like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're if you find yourself starting to drift just turn it off like come back to it later because it you're not going to have a good time with it mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah it's uh it's wild all right well, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to say our goodbyes, a little bit of our wrap-up, and that'll be it for this week. Okay, uh, we're back. We're back, and um, I'm going to do something a little weird here. I am going to maybe bum everybody out, but I just have to like kind of say something a little here. Uh, a little bit before we were recording, I went online and I saw that uh, Michael K. Williams had passed away. Um, he, for those who don't know Michael K. Williams, he was, uh, if you've seen The Wire, he was Omar Little. He was in a lot of HBO stuff. He was in um, The Night Of. Uh, he was in a Lovecraft Country, Boardwalk Empire as well. Um, but he's in a lot of stuff. TV, I think, is where he made most of his biggest impression you did three pretty memorable episodes on community uh, as a very scary teacher um but he's he's a working actor he's been in a lot of stuff uh i am really bummed like in a way I, i'm kind of surprised about because i i don't really get affected by celebrity deaths i don't like to 
mention them very often because it's like, I don't know this person and it's kind of a weird thing I think to do, but I am finding out, finding myself surprisingly bummed out about this. He is, I don't know. He's such a, like a, a, a really great presence. He's got a really good look. He's got really great charisma. Uh, he, he, all of his characters, he kind of imbues with this, like this life and heart that a lot of actors might not have done. Like Omar is a fucking like top tier, like God tier character. Omar is like a great character, but without Michael K. Williams, I don't think it would have reached the heights that it, it, he reached in that series. Um, I don't know if, if you have any, like, I know I'm kind of just uh, like springing this on you and we haven't yeah. really talked about it, but <laughs> yeah. I, I just wanted to say like Michael K. Williams, it's such a, a huge loss. He was so goddamn talented. And I mean, I only know him as a fan of his work and it, yeah. it it's, it's like a really big loss. He's so great. Yeah. And I'm really fucking bummed right now. So uh, I guess, I'm bumming everybody else right out right now. No <laughs> yeah. I just say rest in peace, Michael K. Williams. Yeah, I didn't. I, yeah, I didn't know the actor by name, but uh, you mentioned it, and I look, I looked him up, and I have definitely seen him in a lot of stuff. He has so many credits. He's working actor in a lot of big uh, movies and productions, and uh, yeah, I, rest in peace. It's, it's really sad, you know, to hear because I think he's 54, and to me, that always seems like wow, like that's really young. Like it still seems like could have had a uh, more life to live but i thought that when when bowie died and he was 69 yeah like, that's still it doesn't seem that old yeah not anymore yeah yeah um, um but yeah rest in peace and man that's sad really sad I, I will say anybody like listening that isn't familiar i i think one of his best roles if you don't want to get into the wire because everybody's told you to get into the wire and <laughs> it is by now a beast of a show to try and get into um happen leonard I can't remember what network it was on. I think it's all on Netflix right now. It's three seasons of six episodes each. Uh, each season is a self-contained story, a larger story, like the, the characters grow through the seasons, but each season is its own story. Um, it's phenomenal. Like It's so much fun. It's based on a series of books. I will never be able to read the books without hearing his character in his voice. He, it's like <laughs> such great casting, but... Um, yeah, watch it. I will say season one is it's okay, but season two or three are great. And like it, it's not as big of a time commitment as The Wire or even Boardwalk Empire or his other um, HBO shows. So yeah, I, I would check those out if you want to check out some of his work. But, uh, so anyway, before like we end on like a super downer note, uh, what's going on over at Dial F? Um, well, I still have a couple more episodes left on Summer of Kubrick, which are now going to be spaced out until the end of uh, September. I'm starting to go back until doing the uh, regular format of the show. I just dropped an episode of movies that are on the 1001 movies you must see before you die that I dislike. Uh, and, <laughs> and I'm releasing a killing episode real soon. And uh, we're doing an AI episode. Um, which I, I, I guess I'll say now, did you listen to that episode yet? The Eyes Wide Shut episode? I no, I have not. Oh, okay. I, well, I actually, uh -huh. I haven't listened to any podcasts for the past couple of weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah, same. Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of music at work instead of podcasts. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it, and I, I went back and listened to some of the summer of Kubrick stuff because, like, outside of the editing, I hadn't heard it in you know play play out and see how it's done. I really like how a lot of the episodes came out. It was it was such a great like. Oh, I'm I, I enjoyed it all. I enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, it. it was. Yeah, me too. It was a lot of fun and just you know talking about my favorite director with uh, all my friends. That was really cool, and uh, I can't wait to do it with another like maybe director director like that that has a bunch of diverse different uh kind of movies but that's that's what's been going on in the show all summer you're doing summer of the shadow summer in the shadows i'm doing summer of kubrick which is about to wrap up and yeah now um uh i'm just trying to figure out what to do with the rest of september and then uh i'm kind of finalizing categories for october and all the spooky Halloween uh, movies for that month on the show. You will be on the show for sure. And then I will be sending you the category soon so you can uh, have a pick at it first. Well, yeah, and you're going to be online because I'm doing the same thing with Halloween. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I think I'll say it because we're only a couple of weeks. And as of now, this episode coming out, we're a couple of weeks away from Halloween starting officially mm -hmm. our season. Yeah, uh, we're going to be looking at recent horror movies. It's yeah. got to be within the last ten years, um, and it has to be. Well, it, th this part's a little iffier. Something a bit low profile. Yeah, you know, I like that a lot. Like, I don't just pick the Conjuring or the Bob. Yeah, or something. like yeah. those are those are great. Uh, those are fine, but we're look we're looking at something that's maybe a little bit unsung, just something a little bit outside what yeah. everybody's already seen, discussed on a bunch of blogs and podcasts. It's so, really cool because there's a lot of stuff out there that kind of a lot of the like more movies from like the last five to ten years I discovered from reviewing a lot of these like lower budget movies. So there's yeah. definitely like a lot of stuff that gets overlooked. It's actually pretty good. I'm actually going to try and make that my month long viewing. Well, actually, I've already started my horror moving, mute, viewing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the for the Halloween season. Halloween starts in September for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I got to transition out because right now I'm doing a lot of like martial arts movies. Oh, yeah. Like, all right. I've like got to ease into the Halloween stuff because it's coming up. Yeah. So I I'm, I'm trying to make that a goal is to to watch more like new stuff, because I feel like there's a lot of new stuff that I've been really wanting to see. And I, I mm -hmm. then I, I just don't get a chance and I forget about it. It goes by the wayside. So I'm going to like start going back and like looking at at like lists of horror movies over the past five years and trying to watch a lot of new ones. Yeah, I, I need to watch more from like uh, directors that like women or people of color. I, I feel like um, I feel like maybe it's just the white liberal guilt but i feel like that, that can be <laughs> yeah. a blind spot for me like because yeah just, i was they don't sorry, get it as, as oh i'm sorry they just don't get the same uh the same profile and so it, it maybe some of those yeah. don't under my my radar at all yeah i was trying to look up like horror like from latin america from like the last 10 years and i thought of uh the orphanage but that that was kind of a big one and it also came out in 08 oh that's a good movie yeah really good movie. yeah and then I was like, damn, I guess I haven't seen that many from the last uh, 10 years that I can think of. There's that one from Guatemala that came out last year that was very close to, to making it uh, as I think it would have been the like maybe the first horror film to be nominated for a major. Well, not the first, but like in the foreign category uh, is La Llorona from Guatemala. And it, it, I think it made the short list, but it, it didn't make it past that. Well, have you seen Here Comes the Devil? I mean, it's 2012. It's not. Yeah. No, I don't think I've seen that one. That I liked a lot. Yeah, uh, that that's a really good one. I, I'm not sure where it's. Uh, um, 
where it's streaming as if it is but that's like that's a really good one yeah i know i'm really excited i'm still like looking at stuff to get like inspiration for for your show and and you know find something like i want to find something like obscure that like no one's heard of so you know that kind of movies you know promoted out there well yeah but the horror community does like scour the, the yes deck. true true so yeah it's going to be hard to find something that nobody's yeah. talking about that's true that's true yeah maybe for the the more casual viewer yeah yeah it's like true. trying to get in yeah and there, there's just so much stuff not everybody can watch anything but that, oh, i know yeah <laughs> well uh i think that's going to do it for us this episode uh everybody check out dial f for film it continues to be an excellent podcast thank you um, and uh check you out it's dial f podcast right i always get this wrong on twitter yes it's yeah dial f podcast on twitter and instagram okay well check yeah. them out uh and as for us twitter as us me as for me twitter and instagram at two-headed pod drop me a line sometime and please rate review and subscribe uh reviews and ratings do help um and I, I just want to see what people think about the, the show. So drop me a line sometime. Uh, that's going to be it for us. We'll see you next week for another installment. I think maybe the last installment of Summer in the Shadows. <laughs>